Welcome to the Assembly of Yahweh Sermon Podcast. We're so glad you're here. For more information, you can visit hallelujah.org or download the AOI app on Apple or Google Play. Hebrews chapter 11, in verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of old gained approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of Yahweh, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. Now we're going to start in on this example after example of how Yahweh moves uh, in the lives of people and how they responded to their calling. By faith, Abel, verse 4, offered to Yahweh a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, Yahweh testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because Yahweh took him. For he obtained the witness that before his being, before his being taken up, he was pleasing to Yahweh. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever comes to Yahweh must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by Yahweh about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the, of the righteousness which is according to faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he, was rece- which he was to receive for an inheritance. And when he went out, not knowing where he was going, by faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in the foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for a city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is Yahweh. This is going to be the message today. I want to talk about this city. And I would like to just try to bring a closer, more um, tangible view of what this city is actually all about and how you can get there and have a great time when you arrive. This city whose architect and builder is Yahweh. By faith, verse 11, Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, there was born even of one man and he as good as dead at that as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. All of these died in faith without receiving the promises. But having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on earth. This city which Yahweh is building is your home and mine. You don't belong to this planet. This earth and all of the things that are in it is not your land. You are a stranger. Now that may sound a little contradicting to the way we've been raised, but the idea here is that our citizenship is not American. It's not the United States of America. Our citizenship is in heaven. More specifically, the kingdom of heaven. When you get baptized, 
and you go into the waterly grave and you come out, that seals your citizenship. The Bible talks about in Revelations that the people of Yahweh will have the name of Yahweh written on their foreheads. The name of the Father, the name of the Son, and that's what we baptize in. When that happens, your fate for the kingdom and the promise is sealed. And these people also, through faith, believed in this city even though they couldn't see it because it was so far off. Imagine, we think of the kingdom of Yahweh as being far off right now. Imagine 4,000, 5,000 years ago. How long ago was that? And they still saw the same city that we're seeing today. Verse 14, For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of the country from which they went out, They would have had opportunity to return. What does he mean there? He means these people were thinking about a city, a country that they wanted to call their own. If they had actually been thinking about the country that they were from, then they would have went back to it. But what he's saying here is that they weren't talking about a country that they came from. They're talking about a country that's coming. A country that's coming. Verse 16 But as it is, they desired a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, Yahweh is not ashamed to be called their Elohim, for he has prepared a city for them. Yahweh has prepared a city. Now, this city has a lot of different names, but we're going to narrow it down to three names. Some people call it heaven. It is certainly the kingdom of heaven. If you were to think about a kingdom... In mythology or maybe in history, you would have the kingdom of England. England was a country, but it was considered a kingdom. So the kingdom of heaven, heaven would be considered the country, and it's the kingdom of heaven. Does that make sense? All right. Another uh, name for this city is called New Jerusalem. And New Jerusalem it means just that. It's Jerusalem, but it's new. Okay. And then the third thing that it's often called is Zion. All right, so the, the, the name Zion references the kingdom city that's coming to earth. And if you want to be more righteous, you'd pronounce it Zion, which is how it's said in Hebrew. Can you say Zion? It's a, there's a T at the end. Zion? Okay. Good try. It's good. So we have heaven... Jerusalem, and Zion. That's why we sing about Zion. The trumpet in Zion, Zion. That's how you sing it in Hebrew. That's, that's why we talk about Zion. Zion, is to, it's so foreign to us because we're like, well, what is Zion? I don't know what Zion is. It's on a movie. I've heard it on movies. You know, if you're watching The Matrix or something like that, Zion was the place where all the human beings were stranded there in the middle of the earth. It's kind of cool. Maybe you heard about it in a song, but you're like, oh, it's so weird. Jerusalem is just as weird. We, don't, we have no connection to Jerusalem. If I said the kingdom of New York City, you'd be like, woo! Maybe you wouldn't, but let's just say you did, you know, because you didn't, but you could have. I mean, you could have been like, woo! You could have been like, Dallas! Kingdom. Okay. I don't know what city you like or you're proud of, but apparently it's not Dallas and it's not New York, but that's what it would be like. 
All right, the kingdom of Dallas or the kingdom of Houston or the kingdom of Austin. Woohoo! That could use some reform. <laughs> I've been told, although I haven't been to Jerusalem, that Jerusalem could also use some reform. So that's what this city is all about. The country is heaven, the city is Jerusalem, and it's the kingdom of it. And that is your home. You, we have so little information. I just want to try to uncloud a little bit of that today through random theories and abstract ideas. <laughs> I'm glad somebody got that. Thank you. Thank you. Random theories and abstract ideas to clarify the city that you're a member of. Oh man, there's so much excitement going on. Let's go ahead and continue in verse 1 of chapter 12. Of course, we continue to see that this faith and this faith and these people who are doing all sorts of stuff. Let's just look in at verse 32 of chapter 11 before you go to chapter 12, verse 32 of 11. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me if I told about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword from weakness, were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release, so that they might obtain a better resurrection. This is key. So they might obtain a better resurrection. Now, some of us are thinking, maybe, you should be, is there a bad resurrection? Just imagine that there's two choices you've got. You can either be resurrected to lake of fire time, you know, time at the lake, or you could be resurrected to kingdom of heaven resurrection time. So you think, well, as long as I'm getting resurrected to life, I'm doing okay. But here it's saying there's a better resurrection even for those who are resurrected to life. And they were stoned, and they were sawn in two, and they were tempted. Verse 37, and they were put to death with the sword, and they, were about to, they went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts, mountains, and caves, and holes in the grounds. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised, because Yahweh had provided something better for us, so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. There's a key verse here, which we skipped, and let's go back. In verse 23, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of Yahweh than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Moses made a choice not to indulge in the sinful lusts of the world that he was from, as much treasure as he could want. 
as many women as he could find, as, as many mountain climbs and, and floats down the river as he could want to do, as much wine as the, the cup could hold. He laid all of that aside and chose ill treatment with the people of Yahweh. And by that choice, he will obtain a better resurrection. Let's go in verse 1 of chapter 12. Therefore, since we have a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Yeshua, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of Yahweh, a right hand of the throne of Yahweh. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I want to be an encouragement today. I want to, I want to get your mind right. I want, to, I want my mind to be right. I want to get excited about this city that's being prepared. But I also want to give you this, this little bit of a warning here. And that is, somewhere along the line, the people of Yahweh most likely will be made to suffer. And the scripture is preparing us for this in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, these people were sawn in two. That doesn't sound yummy or comfortable. It doesn't even sound like my rights are being um, honored. There are great tribulations that are coming to this planet. Blessed is he who is faithful and endures to the end. Hallelujah. This city that they saw was worth it. It was worth all the sacrifice. It was worth all the trouble. Now, I want to, we have to move quickly here. So much to say here. I want to get this idea here of this country that's being prepared, that Yahweh said they desired a better country that is a heavenly one, Therefore, Yahweh is not ashamed to be called their Elohim, for he has prepared a city for them. Zion is being prepared. But where is it being prepared at? You can't go see it being built. I had heard when we were in Kenya one time that China was building an entire city somewhere in Kenya, but nobody was living in it until it got completely built. And I just thought how crazy that idea was that an entire city was being built that was empty. And they didn't fill it until uh, the, the city was completed. And that's the way this city is. It's being built right now. You know, think about it this way. Yeshua is delaying his return. Well, I guess more specifically, Yahweh is delaying the return of Yeshua so that he can put the final touches on the kingdom. How many of you are glad you're not going to get a, a kingdom with no roof? Okay. Now that's good. It's going to have a little furniture in there. It's going to be nice. You're going to be thankful that you waited that little extra time. But I want to shift our minds now, if you will. We've got this idea of Jerusalem. We're talking about Zion. We're talking about this country. I want to now uh, redirect our focus. I want to talk about your investment in the city. Your investment in the city. We all invest our stuff somewhere. Everything you do in life is an investment to something. If you watched TV every day, all day every day, except for the time you slept, you would be investing in entertainment, the destruction of your soul, 
and the destruction of your body because you wouldn't be exercising. Everything you do is an investment. When you put your money into an account, you're investing. When you put your money into the stock market, you're thinking, hopefully, I'm investing. When you build a home, you think, I'm investing. When you play with your children, you're investing. You're investing in them. You're investing in your relationship. When you go out on a date with your wife, that's an investment. You're making an investment. Does everybody get it? Every single thing you do is an investment. Where you spend your money, you're investing either in your earthly future, you're investing in your heavenly future, you're investing in your children's future. Does that make sense? Everything we do is an investment. Somebody turn to the neighbor and say, everything you do is an investment. That's right. Everything you do is an investment. You have to... Look, I'm not, when I say you, I know you, I want you to know I'm talking to me too. I just happen to be the one saying it. So I'm saying you. You have to realize that this life in its fleeting moments is constantly an investment into something. Now, Brother Danny talked about this time when he was giving his message about Passover. He was talking about our investment of time. Remember, he was saying, how much time does Yahweh get? And how much time does TV get? And how much time does work get? And da, 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 da investing time, but time is not the only thing we invest. We invest our money. We invest our behavior. This is going to be, I mean, super exciting. If I told you that every every 100 people you said hi to, or Yahweh bless you to, or had some positive greeting to, you would get a Lamborghini in the kingdom of heaven, how quickly would you start saying hi and greeting people? Right now. Thank you. Yes, right now. Imagine I told you, for every person you invited to the assembly, and for every one of those that chose Yahshua for salvation, I would give you another mansion in in heaven. I've got a mansion just over the hill. Talk, come on, Millie Marker. In that bright land where we'll never grow old. If I told you that in the kingdom of heaven you could get a mansion, but for every other person you invited to the kingdom with you and they came along on the journey, got, you got another mansion, how many people would you invite? Come on, somebody. You guys must not like mansions. Okay, if you lived in a double-wide, mansions would look really cool to you right now. I can tell that there's some people who don't live in a double-wide, and that's probably hurting your salvation. Your reward is being hurt. Oh, boy. Everything you do on earth is an investment, and it's either an an earthly investment or it's a spiritual heavenly one. That's the choice you have to make. You can either make an investment here and now, or you can make an investment for the future. And I'm telling you, the people that followed Yahweh from the beginning of their life to the end up until the point of death were investing in the kingdom of heaven. They wanted to see their place in the city that Yahweh was building. They made an investment. You're investing in your health. Your spiritual health, your physical health, everything you do is an investment. Listen to me, and when I say this, what you do here matters there. And I'm talking about Jerusalem. I'm talking about Zion. What you do here matters there. What you do now matters then. What 
What you do here matters there, and what you do now matters then. It's called reward. Heavenly reward. Now let's go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where we're going to spend substantial time. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to create another idea about building. Building your reward. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 1, it says this, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of the flesh, as to infants in Messiah. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not able to receive it. Even Indeed, even now you are not able, for you are still fleshly. And since there is jealousy and strife among you, you are, not, are you not fleshly, and are you not walking like mere men? So Paul is saying, I'd love to share more with you, but I can't do it because you're still fleshly. I'd love to share, I'd love to share deep, intimate um, information and, and, and the mysteries of the kingdom with you, but I can't do it because you're still fleshly. Some of us are in this boat. Some of us cannot fully comprehend the spiritual magnitude of the kingdom that's coming, the city that's being built, the country that's being prepared, because we're still fleshly. And that is, we still want earthly things. To him who has an ear, let him hear. For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? What is, then is Apollos? And what, just to explain this, some, some of the people were bragging and, and saying that I was baptized by Paul, and so I'm better than you. And others were saying, well, I was baptized by Apollos, which makes me superior to you. And Paul's like, oof, can we talk about anything else right now? It has no meaning who baptized you. So here's what he's saying. What then is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the sovereign gave opportunity to each one. In other words, it wasn't because we did anything. It's because Yahweh moved through us to preach to you, which is the way that you received the gospel. Had nothing to do with us whatsoever. I planted, verse 6, Apollo watered, but Yahweh was causing the growth. In other words, we had our part to play, but Yahweh is the one who causes growth. Amen. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but Yahweh who causes growth. Now, he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. The Bible talks about laboring. Laboring in the fields, laboring in the works of Yahweh. This is more than just keeping his commandments, although keeping his commandments is certainly part of the work. But you see Yeshua moving through the crowds. He's moving from city to city. And what is he doing? He's doing work. Yahweh had something for him to do, and that is the thing that he did. You can see the apostles after Yeshua's death, they're moving through cities. They're building the assemblies. And what are they doing? They're doing work. And what Paul's saying here is everyone has a reward according to his labor. This is what the parables are all about. The parables of the talents. The parables of this and that. It's about laboring in the kingdom of heaven. And you say, Keith, how can I labor in the kingdom of heaven if the kingdom of heaven is not yet here? And I'm telling you, the, the way you labor... And the kingdom of heaven is you serve Yeshua here. 
That is the labor of the kingdom because Yahweh's blessing is on the kingdom. When it comes, there will be no labor. If you think, well, I'm going to wait to labor in the kingdom when the kingdom comes, you've missed the opportunity. You'll be resting in the kingdom. I certainly hope so. The, the labor is now. What you do now matters then. Let's go to verse 9. For we are Yahweh's fellow workers. We work. You are Yahweh's field. Yahweh's what? Building. And this is not a physical building, although building an assembly hall or building a this or that is fruitful. If you go to a third world country and you build a home that's sheltering the, the poor, yes, that's building. But the building is not earthly. It's heavenly. Suppose I told you that right now... Uh, let, uh, let me get ahead of myself. Let's go to verse 10. According to the grace of Yahweh, which was given to me like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful on how he builds. What's Paul saying? He's saying, I laid a foundation. I gave you the gospel. You received it, and therefore I laid a foundation for you. I poured concrete into your soul, and the concrete is Yeshua. The foundation of our salvation is solely the gospel of Yeshua. That's what I did. He's saying, and you, another's building on it. You, you, I laid the foundation. You got baptized. You, you became a partaker of the heavenly gift. But now someone else, maybe another pastor, or another teacher, or another evangelist is building. That's what he's saying. Verse 11. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Yeshua the Messiah. The only foundation that will be Kingdom worthy is the foundation of Yeshua, the Messiah. No other name by which we must be saved. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. It's the only way. So your foundation and mine must be Yeshua, the Messiah. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold and silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each man's work will become evident for the day will, uh, will come, but rather will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Now, I don't typically do um, examples and pictures and everything, but I, I just want to get a concrete image in your mind, an abstract thought to clarify things. Now, let's just take a moment. We're talking about the foundation being Yeshua and building on that foundation. If I were to tell you that what you do here is building you a home in the city to come, what kind of home would you want to build? Suppose I told you that you could work your rear end off on earth and still only live in a double wide. You would be a little discouraged by that. But if I told you that the harder you worked, the bigger your house got in the kingdom, you might be encouraged. And that, brethren, is what it, Paul is saying. It's what Yeshua was saying. There are rewards for those who work the fields. There are rewards for those who labor in kingdom work. Now, let's just start here. This is a rail car. I chose a rail car because... It's just what came to my mind. But 
This is supposed to be an image of the foundation. Just bear with me if you don't mind, okay? So Paul, uh, Paul is saying here that we have to build on the foundation. Now, this is a good, solid foundation. You can see that a rail car, how many of you think of a rail car as sturdy? Anybody? Sturdy. It's strong. It's, you know, not going to move. It's immovable. Okay, it's, it's strong. <laughs> Here's another example. All right, does that look strong to you? Does it look heavy? Does it look like, you could probably, you could probably jump up and down on that thing and it wouldn't move, Right? You could probably put a car on that thing and it wouldn't move, right? You could probably build a house on it and it wouldn't move. How many of you know that people actually build houses on stuff like this, okay? This is an example of one that you wouldn't want to build on, right? Okay, so the foundation matters. If it's not Yeshua, don't build on it. That's important. If anybody from this pulpit shares something with you that's not Yeshua, it's not worth building on. And I'm thankful for the men that speak from this pulpit because they... They build on Yeshua. Now look at the comparison here. I think I've got a pointer somewhere. Here we go. Look at that. That is a strong, sturdy foundation. This thing's got, it's rotten. You see what I'm saying? You don't want to build on the wrong wrong foundation. Now here we go. Everything we do matters for the kingdom, but everything will be tested by fire. Let's just assume you had to build your house here and you were going to leave to go to the kingdom, the city of heaven, Zion. But before you arrived there, your train was going to go through intense heat from fire. And what comes out on the other end is what you're left with in the kingdom. Okay? That looks something like this. All right? Let's just say you have to build a house here on earth that has to pass through the testing fire. And whatever comes out on the other end is your reward in heaven. What are you wanting to build your house with? What do you want to build it with? He says here, some have laid and built on that foundation with gold, with silver, Precious stones. Others built with wood, hay, and straw. Do you remember that old um, nursery rhyme or whatever it's called about the three little pigs, isn't it? They built their house out of hay and then straw and then bricks. And the big bad wolf, isn't it, came over and blew on it and it blew the house down. If you built, if you built a house full of hay on that thing, would it survive the fire of testing. No. That represents works on earth, kingdom work, that is not sufficient for testing. It's not worthy enough of glory. Now, I'm not speaking here of salvation, so please do not crisscross what I'm saying. I'm talking about kingdom work, heavenly rewards. Verse 14, if any man's work, which he has built on it, remains, he will receive a reward. Does everybody see that? I got to move. You guys get distracted easily. If anyone, verse 14, if any man's work, which he builds, which he has built on it, remains, he will receive a reward. So if your building makes it through the fire, you get a reward. But, look at this. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer what? Loss. 
the investment will come out to zero. It's like investing in a stock market and you've got these big hopes and dreams about becoming a millionaire and then all of a sudden the company goes bankrupt and you've got no money. If any man's work is burned up through the fires of testing, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be what? Saved, yet so as through fire. What does that mean? It means that there are different levels of reward for kingdom work. Not everyone who is saved will live in the same size home in the kingdom of heaven. And I am speaking in very loose terms here. Do not get to the kingdom of heaven and you didn't end up with a home and be like, well, Keith said I was getting a home. Don't do that. I'm just, I'm speaking in, in metaphoric terms here. I don't know what's in store, truly. And there's a reason, by the way, that we don't know what's in store. If we knew what was in store, there'd be no surprise. How many of you have seen a movie trailer before you went and saw the, the movie? How many of you know you were not surprised when big things happened because you saw the trailer? I don't watch trailers to a movie. I want to be completely and utterly surprised. I want the moment to completely uh, encapsulate me and, and, and completely surprise me. And that's the way the kingdom of heaven is, by the way. There's, there's hints to, there's ideas of, there's theories on, but there is no concrete evidence or sightings that we can make about the kingdom of heaven because Yahweh wants you to be surprised. Surprise! Who doesn't love a surprise? Do you ever think about that? Of all the things Yahweh was crystal clear on the kingdom of heaven, this city called Zion is so abstract. It's so elusive. What does it look like? Where is it? How do I get there? These things can be answered. What's inside of it? How will I be? Who will I know? Who's my neighbors going to be? So we're not talking about salvation. We're talking about reward. If I told you that what you do now matters on an internal, eternal investment, you might reconsider how you spend your time, how you spend your money, who you spend your time with. Does that make sense? It's not just about now. Yes, the Feast of Unleavened Bread is about cleaning. It's about renewal. It's about beginning. But listen, this life is about tomorrow. It's about a city. It's about a kingdom that's coming. It's not about today. Okay, here we go. So, the question is, what kind of house are you building in Zion? The city that Yahweh has promised. The whole theme of the feast is based on this idea that we get a new country in this big city. Now the question number two, how do you build a house that will sustain the fire of testing? How do I build a house on that thing that's going to make it through the fire? Because if I want to say, if I, if you, you know, suppose you said, well, Keith, I like this idea of investment. I love investing. I'd love to invest in my eternal city. I would love to invest in my eternal home. How do I get that investment done? What's the right things to invest in? What do you think? Let's go. Let's look. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. 
There are so many references to this idea of eternal reward. We will not be able to exhaustively cover all of them. And if you think, well, Keith, you missed this or that, you're right. Please share it with me later. I get it. And I'm not trying to convince you of some wild hair crazy idea here. I think this is very biblical. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Yeshua is preaching and he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in what? Heaven. The city that's coming. Where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And here's the kicker. For where your treasure is There will your heart be also. I am Yahweh, your Elohim, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And yet we make for ourselves idols every single day day and we worship them and we pay homage to them we sacrifice to them if you want to build eternal reward if you want to build eternal treasure if you want your house to pass through the fires of testing you need to first Give your heart fully to Yahweh. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If he doesn't have your heart, forget about heavenly rewards. Are you dedicated to his purpose? Are you trusting him or are you trusting yourself? Do you live in obedience to his word? Are you doing the things he's asking you to do? Imagine you're a child and your dad says to you at the beginning, if you obey everything I tell you to do, I promise you your inheritance will be better than if you disregard my word. It just sort of makes sense, right? Are you investing your time and money into earthly treasures? We have to go through this quickly, so bear with me. Matthew chapter 25, we're talking about the talents. This is the parable of the talents. Now, we've all heard this parable many times, so we're going to really just blast through it here. Verse 14, just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted possessions to them, to the one he gave five talents. By the way, talent is a measurement of money. This is not talent like, oh, he's really talented at basketball. Not that kind of talent. This is talent. It's money. He invested this money to one he gave five, and to another he gave two talents, and to another one, according to each his own ability. Yahweh is giving and making an investment in each one of you according to your ability. He will not give you more talents than you are able to do something with. 
So this is an example where Yahweh is, through the Holy Spirit, when you get baptized, the the, the elders lay their hands on you. You receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That comes with gifts for heavenly work. You are gifted naturally. This is a spiritual gifting to do kingdom work. Every single person is gifted with spiritual capability. Superpower. Heavenly power. So he goes on to say, this one collected five more. This one collected two more. This one dug his talent, uh, buried his talent in the ground, so on and so on. Yeshua comes back. The master comes back, and he says, hey, to the, to the one who gained five, I give you five more. You were in charge of a little. I am putting you in charge of much. It's kingdom work. It's reward. I'm putting you in charge of much. Maybe you're a mayor. I don't know. Maybe you're a governor. I don't know. To the second, he said, you got two. I give you, you got two more. I'm going to make you, you were faithful to a little bit. I'm going to give you more. Kingdom work. The other one said, I buried your money because I knew this and that about you. And he was like, well, if you knew this and that about me, you should have put my money in the bank account. At least, (laughs) minimum, you would have collected some interest. But you did nothing. Therefore, you get nothing. Everyone who has more shall be given, verse 29. But from the one who does not have, even what he has shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You don't want to be the one who doesn't utilize, invest in kingdom work because that reward will not be good. Now in 19 of chapter, rather in Luke chapter 19, verse 11, again, I'm trying to go through this quickly. There's an exhaustive study that can be done here. Please bear with me. I'm not trying to pull a fast one on you here. In Luke chapter 19, verse 11, there's a similar parable, but a different uh, form of money. Verse 13 of chapter 19, then he called 10 slaves and gave them 10 minas and said to them, do business with us until I come back. The mina was a measure of money about worth a hundred drachmas or denarii, about 300, uh, rather three months wages. Okay. Uh, Now listen, it says here, notice that each servant received the same amount. This wasn't based on talent or ability, rather. It wasn't based on ability. It was an equal opportunity. You breathe, you've got opportunity to build kingdom work. You've got op- you breathe, you can build a nice house in this city. It's not based on what you're gifted in. It's based on the investment issue is making in you. And then the same thing. Those who did well got rewarded. Those who did not do well did not get rewarded. You want to talk about kingdom investment? Look, this is tough. Bro, I invest in bad things all the time. Like, I'm the person that's preaching, but I'm receiving. You know, some, I don't know if you know this, but sometimes we think to ourselves, I can't preach that. I'm not living it. Not doing good enough. But somebody's got to say it, so hey, what, whatever. Okay? You just got to keep going. Let's go to Luke chapter 25, or rather, Mark, uh, Matthew chapter 25, where we were. Matthew 25, let's go back there. Now look at this. This is kingdom work, bro. Brother. That's short for brother. And when I say it, it also includes women, brothers, and sisters, bro. Look, this is what he says here. 
When the Son of Man, verse 31, comes in His glory with all the angels, then He will sit on His glorious throne, and all the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them one from another, as the shepherd separates the sheep and the goats. And He will put the sheep on His right hand and the goats on His left. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed of My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Come, you who are blessed, inherit this glorious kingdom that I've put, that's been prepared for you. From the foundation of the world. For when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. And when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. And when I was a stranger, you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. Sick and you visited me. Prison and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him, Sovereign, when did we see you in any of these uh, scenarios? And he said, when you did it to the least of these, to the, um, you did it for me. Lost my place there, but you got the idea. Mm-hmm, verse 40. To a brother of mine, to the least of those, you did it for me. Verse 41, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into eternal fire, which has been prepared for, his devil and, and the, for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me. I was naked, you clothed me not. I was in prison, and you uh, did not come and visit me. Even when I was sick, you didn't. Then, therefore, they will say to him, Master, when did we see you hungry, thirsty, stranger, naked, sick, and in prison? And why did we not take care of you? And he said to them, I say to you, to the extent you did not do this to the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Brothers and sisters, bro, if you want to build kingdom houses, you better start serving like Yeshua served. That's tough. Matthew 16, 27. We're just, we're just blowing and going here. Bear with me. Matthew 16, 27. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I say to you that on you, Peter, upon you I will build my rock, my assembly. The gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bind on heaven. That's not the right place. I'm not in the right place. It's 27. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For the Son of Man is going to come in glory, the glory of his Father with his angels, and will then repay every man according to his what? His deeds, his works. That's right. For uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 6, we don't have time, but it talks about reaping and sowing bountifully. Let's move on. I want to give you an idea now, if you don't mind, what it looks like. This is abstract. It's fiction. It's not 100% truth, but just use your imagination to figure some things out. Number three, the, the third question. By the way, question number one is, what kind of house are you building? Question number two was, uh, how do you build a house that will sustain the fires of testing that is serving one another, loving Yahweh with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and so on and so on? And lastly, I want to ask, what are these eternal rewards I'm investing in? What does this eternal city actually look like? I have no idea. Let's just talk about this kingdom for a minute, and then I'm going to be still. Okay. The kingdom of Zion. The scripture teaches that the new Jerusalem will be roughly 1,500 miles long, miles wide, and miles high. 
Some have suggested that it's a pyramid because you could still get those three uh, qualifications into a pyramid, but most agree it's a cube. Meet the city. This is Jerusalem. This is Zion. This is your home. This is what you're a citizen of. How large is the cities? The city, rather, that varies slightly depending on the version of the Bible. Like I said, 1,500 square miles. Let's look at this. Regardless of whether the city is 1,400 or 1,500 miles in length and width, it's shaped like a square at the base. This means New Jerusalem will be larger than India with nearly 2 million square miles. These measurements are meant to be literal since they are described as a man's measurement. Revelation chapter 21, verse 17. Even more astounding than the size at the base is the height, which is also 1,500 miles. This goes well beyond Earth's atmosphere and into space. If a building in the city, if a building in the city is this high and has a generous 12 feet per story, the building would be over 600,000 stories tall. 600,000 stories tall. Some, come on, somebody. That's a big city. We're not done yet. It gets better. Check this out. Now, some goofball did this and put it on the internet, and I'm thankful because it's not cool. It's not, like, well done, but it just gives you an idea. That's the United States of America, and that's Zion resting on top of it. If you, listen to this, if you were one mile away from the city, you would not see the top. But you might see it if you were 10 miles away. At 5,000 miles away, it would appear more than 130 times larger than the moon. If you were 5,000 miles away from Jerusalem, you would see it more clearly than the moon, 130 times bigger. For it to be the same size as the moon, you'd have to be 160,427 miles away. It says the walls around the city are about 200 feet thick or high. The reason they think it was a cube most likely is because Solomon's temple was a square. We're not done yet. Check that out. That's another view. This is New Jerusalem. This is city. This is the city you're making investments in. It's not going to be a paper box, by the way. It'll be way cooler than that. Way cooler than that. I'm certain of it. This is what it looks like in uh, America here. But let's look at it over Jerusalem, where it's actually going to be. By the way, how many of you know the kingdom of heaven is not coming to America? That's good. That's a good place to start. We're strangers in the land. We don't need to worry about heaven being crowded the ground level of the city will be nearly 2 million square miles. This is 40 times bigger than England and 15 times bigger than London. It's 10 times as big as France or Germany and far larger than India. But remember, that's just the ground level. Again, 600,000 stories. If we ignore the areas that might be taken up for public use, streets, etc., and 
cram every individual into a prison cell-sized room, you could fit one quintillion, that's one billion billion, or a one with 18 zeros after it, people inside. One estimate of the total number of humans that have ever lived on the planet puts the figure at around 106 billion people that have ever lived on the planet. 106 billion people. For the sake of argument, we will assume that each one gets a place in the city. That leaves enough room for everyone to have a house that's 1,500 feet on each side or 2.2 million square feet on each level and around 150 stories tall. There's going to be plenty of room. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about your dream home, but I imagine you didn't plan on a dream home that had 2.25 million square feet. You wouldn't know what to do with all the space. You just walk for days and you'd still be in your own home. Like, this is another room. I don't, what is in this room? I, I don't remember putting treasure in here, but look, this is, this is kind of cool. I built up a heavenly scooter. I don't know. Just think about it. The possibilities of heaven and that which is inside are endless. We have no possible way to fathom the immensity of blessing that the kingdom of heaven has in store for the people. All right. This is one artist's description. It's kind of cool looking. We'll leave that up. Let's close. I want to go to Philippians chapter 3. What kind of house are you building? Do you desire a country that Yahweh is preparing? Have you thought about your place in Zion? The fact that Yahweh is making a home for you. Have you considered what your home will look like? Have you even thought about the fact that you can build it yourself now? Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior the Master, Yeshua the Messiah, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the extension, rather exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. Our citizenship is there. It's not Washington, D.C., it's not Austin, Texas. It's not from wherever you're from. It's there. And what a citizenship to rejoice about. Your body and mine are going to be transformed to be like Yeshua. Revelation chapter 22. Verse 10, and he said to me, this is John speaking, do not seal up the words of this, the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong, and the one who is filthy still be filthy. And let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness, and the one who is holy still keep himself holy.
Behold, Yeshua speaking now, I am coming quickly. My reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and they may enter by the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the immoral persons, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves practicing lying. I, Yeshua, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the assemblies. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. And the spirit and the bride, that's us, say, come. We're ready. And those that hear say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who wishes to take the water of life without cost, come. Don't wait. Come. If you don't know Yeshua, if your name isn't on some mailbox in that place, you can be there. Amen. Thank you so much for your time today. Let's just close in prayer. Yahweh, help us to be mindful and thoughtful of this city, this new Jerusalem, the kingdom of heaven, Zion, that you are preparing for us. Father, I pray that your spirit will lead us into kingdom work. Souls, that were once lost can be turned to your son. Father, I just pray that you would give us a mind to seek after the things of the heavens and not the things of the earth, to make investments, wise investments into our eternal future, into our eternal home. And we pray that through this feast, you will transform our hearts so that they can be conformed to the likeness of your Son, so that we can say that we have finished the race, and he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Father, we just give you the glory today. Thank you for the image of heaven. Thank you for the image of this place that we can call our home. Thank you for the patience of the saints who showed us a way, and for your Son who ultimately gave his life that we may enter into the city. We give you thanks in Yeshua's name. Amen.